Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have as much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Join with me as I pray for Jeff as he brings us our word today. Lord, thank you for Jeff and the Carson family. Thank you for how um, he serves and cares for our church, how um, they serve in so many different ministries and kids and leading an MC. I pray for Jeff as he preaches from your word today, uh, and I pray for us as we listen, just that we would have ears to hear what he has to say. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. I'd like to see all the red there uh, out in the pews. Um, many years ago, when I was still working for the Missouri Baptist Convention, we had, a, we had a work event in St. Louis. I think it was our annual, big annual meeting. And the family was with me, and we were staying in a, in a hotel, uh, one of the downtown hotels. And our daughter, Avery, she was like two or three at the time. Uh, she was, you know, had a lot of words uh, for her age. Uh, and at this point now, you know, it's been about 10 years, maybe a little more. So some of the surrounding details are fuzzy, a little fuzzy. But what I do remember is that on one particular night, we were there in the hotel, and Avery had something really important to say. And she wanted everyone's attention. And so there we were in the hotel room, and little Avery commands the room, and she says, listen to me, with her hands too. Everybody, listen to me. And then she went on in this sing, sing-songy voice to say a bunch of words that they sounded like English, but we couldn't really understand them. And no one was sure exactly what she was saying, but she definitely had our attention. She wanted our attention because in her mind, she had something really important for us to hear. And today in our passage, we're going to see that Jesus wants our attention too. He wants us to listen and hear him because he has something really important for us to hear. Over the last several chapters of Matthew's gospel, we've seen some people embrace Jesus and his teaching. We've seen some reject him. Some have enthusiastically received his demonstrations of power over sickness and demons. And others, because they feel threatened, 
have rejected his authority and begin to plot to destroy Jesus. And as we come to Matthew 13, we enter the the third of five teaching sections in the book, and this chapter is all about the parables. And like Kevin mentioned last week, if you haven't, if you you weren't here last week, go online, um, catch that sermon, because it kind of sets the stage for all the parables that we're going to cover here in Matthew 13. But there are at least two main purposes to the parables. One, they reveal a separation, and two, they point to a restoration. Or to say it another way, the parables teach those who want to listen and frustrate those who don't. Jesus is showing through our parable this morning that the gospel of the kingdom will be received differently by different people. Just like we've seen in the last couple of chapters of Matthew. The parables are accomplishing their purposes. They're further enlightening those with ears to hear and further hardening those without. Jesus is concerned that we see him and hear him, sorry, to both the crowds and to his disciples in our passage. He says, listen to me, hear the words that I'm saying. We see that in verses 9 and 18 here in our passage. He says, he who has ears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. Hear, listen. So in this parable and the parables to follow, Jesus has something that he wants to say. And so the question for us this morning is, will we listen? Will we hear? Kevin mentioned this last week, but I guess a former uh, professor of his in seminary, Robert Stein, I'm guessing Stein is the correct pronunciation, yeah. Uh, He says that there, there are some ways that we can determine the main point of a parable. We look at who the main characters are, right? We look at what occurs in direct discourse or dialogue, and we see who or what gets the most space. So who are the main characters in our parable, and what does Jesus want us to hear about them? What warnings or encouragements do we need to hear as a result? Those are questions that we're going to consider and as we walk through our passage this morning, the question that, that we all need to ask, whether, um, whether you've been in church all your life or this is your first time in a church building, whether you're a student in middle or high school or you're retired or anywhere in between, we should all be asking this question, what soil am I? So here's where we're going. Uh, this parable has three main characters, the sower, the unfruitful soils, and the good soil. So we're going to look at those, and then I want to offer two sets of applications, all kind of pointing to this main point that though many will reject him, followers of Jesus will bear fruit as they hear, receive, and follow the kingdom word of Jesus. So the first character that we're going to look at is the sower. Look with me again at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Matthew ties the parables of chapter 13 to the same day as the events of the last part of chapter 12. So he leaves the house where he was heads down to the Sea of Galilee, and a crowd of people gather around him. And so he kind of 
pulls back. He, he goes, sits in a boat, uses the boat almost like a pulpit. And he sits down and begins to teach the crowds, starting with this parable of the sower. Now, if you've read this parable, uh, as we go through it today, it, you might think that it makes more sense to refer to this as the parable of the soils rather than the parable of the sower because, you know, throughout the parable, the sower and the seed remain the same. It's the, the soils that differ and take center stage. But we saw there in verse 18, Jesus himself calls this the parable of the sower. So we'll not argue with him uh, today. But he starts the parable with, a sower went out to sow. Now, it's interesting and worth noting that here, and even in the explanation of the parable, Jesus doesn't identify himself as the sower. He'll, he'll do that in the next parable that he tells, the parable of the weeds. He explicitly says in his explanation of that parable, this is Matthew 13, 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Son of man was a self-reference that Jesus often used. But Jesus isn't so direct here in our parable. And, and why would that be? Well, from the chapters leading up to this teaching in, in chapter 13, we clearly see Jesus is proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. Remember, Matthew's gospel is about Jesus announcing and ushering in his kingdom, a new paradigm for humanity where what was lost and broken by the fall is being renewed and restored through the rule and reign of Jesus. So Jesus himself has been sowing the seed of the kingdom since the beginning of his public ministry. So it's probable Jesus assumes his disciples will understand without him having to define it that he is the sower here. But he speaks in general enough terms in this parable and in its explanation that it also leaves room for the disciples to be seen as the sowers. You'll remember from a few chapters ago, uh, chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Jesus had already sent out the disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the disciples were also sowing the seed of the kingdom. And from that time on to today, followers of Jesus have lived out this commission to sow the seeds of the gospel. So who is the sower in our parable? Well, either directly through his teaching and preaching or indirectly through the sharing of the disciples, Jesus is the ultimate sower, spreading his word, his kingdom seed to all kinds of people. Now, before we move on to the other main characters of the parable, I just want to share a quick note about reading and interpreting the parables. These parables, they use analogies, but we have to be careful about taking them or, or pushing those analogies too far, right? This parable of the sower is certainly a farming-related parable, and the farming analogy would have made sense in the agrarian society of that day, but Jesus isn't sitting in the boat giving a lecture on best farming practices in first century Palestine. It's not helpful, right? We're not meant to compare first century planning practices with 21st century planning practices. Surely modern farmers, you know, with their $300,000 GPS controlled tractors, 36 
row planters would scoff at the inefficiency on display here, right? Broadcasting the seed by hand. I mean, come on. But don't get lost in the specifics of the planting method that Jesus describes here. That's, that's not the main point. We need to keep the main thing in front of us. Jesus shared the, shares this parable to describe what has and what will continue to happen as he spreads the kingdom seed in the world. All right, so sower is our first main character. Second main character is the unfruitful soil. The unfruitful soils. Just like the teaching and ministry of Jesus was received differently by different people, so the seed in this parable is received differently by different soils. Jesus begins the parable by describing three kinds of soils, each of which failed to produce a fruit-bearing plant. And like I mentioned earlier, as we walk through these, have these questions in mind, right? What warnings or encouragements do we need to hear? What soil am I? So the first soil. This is the, the, the soil along the path, or what we'll see, the hard heart. Look with me again at verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. If you've spent much time flying in an airplane across the you know, kind of Midwest, hardly the United States, you'll know that when you look out the window on the farmland below, it's kind of neatly separated in large tracks, right? I think that the aerial view there is, is always, it's, it's really cool. But if you could somehow like go back in time and fly in an airplane over the fields in first century Palestine, they would be much different, right? Fields are much smaller then and not as precisely separated. It would have been common for a, uh, like a very well-used walking path to run right beside or maybe even in the middle of a small field. And so when the sower is broadcasting the seed, some might land on a nearby walking path. The soil of that path is hard. It's been packed down by lots of foot traffic day after day. If a seed falls on a path like this, it's not possible for it to sprout and take root. It, it just simply can't get through the hard soil, which makes it a great place for the birds to find a snack. Now listen to how Jesus explains this soil to his disciples in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Some people who hear the word of the kingdom, the gospel, have such hard hearts toward Jesus that the seed doesn't have anywhere to go. It can't break through the surface. It can't get, get past their preconceived objections. And so the evil one, Satan, comes and snatches it away just like the birds come and devour the seed on the path. When Jesus refers to the seed being sown in the heart at the end of verse 19, he's situating the decision-making not just in the realm of mental evaluation, but at the heart level, at the level of desire. It's not so much that they can't cognitively understand it. 
It's that they don't want to understand it. And that, my friend, is a dangerous posture to have when it comes to Jesus. This first soil is the hard heart. Like the scribes and the Pharisees who rejected the authority and teaching of Jesus on display right in front of them, whose preconceived assumptions about the Messiah kept them from recognizing God's promised rescuer in their midst. This is the hard heart. So friend, I ask again, what soil are you? Let's move on to the second soil. Second soil it's the rocky ground or the shallow heart. Look again at verses five and six. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. As the sower is spreading the seed, some of it falls on rocky ground. Now, this was common terrain in that day in that region, a thin layer of soil um, over rocky ground underneath. Seed that falls on this type of soil, it can initially sprout up with a lot of vigor. But after the rainy season passes away and the sun's heat increases, that seedling, it can't push roots down far enough to get to water, far enough to survive. The seed sprouts but it's scorched by the sun, and so it withers. Now listen to Jesus describe this soil in verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Some people hear the gospel and initially receive it with joy. But when difficulties in life arise, or when mistreatment comes because of their professed faith, there's no real root to keep them standing strong, and so they collapse and wither. When Jesus says in verse 20 that they immediately receive it with joy, it reminds me of seeing you know, students, junior high and high school students, sometimes college students, uh, at a summer church camp or on a mission trip, get caught up in, in kind of this emotional moment, right? Move to make a decision for Christ in a moment of joy and excitement. And, and please hear me, emotions aren't bad. They're God-given and we need them. But if that emotional decision for Christ isn't undergirded and supported by deep roots in the Word of God and deep roots in the family of God, then over time, it can waver. When another kind of emotional moment comes, maybe of a different kind, one of sadness or hurt or anger or embarrassment, that quick decision for Christ can just as quickly be deserted. Is it any wonder that the easy believism of the modern Western church has often led to the total abandonment of one's professed faith? George Whitfield was a famous preacher during the first Great Awakening and would often preach to massive crowds. And when asked about how many people came to genuine faith in Christ after one of his sermons, he's credited with saying, we'll see in a few years. This second soil is the shallow heart. 
like those who followed Jesus when their bellies were filled by the fish and the loaves, but deserted him when difficulty arose. Listen to Craig Bloomberg on the role of persecution in following Jesus here. He writes, Roman persecution against the fledgling Christian church would be a significant reason why some apparent believers did not grow all the way to the fruit-bearing stage that marked true discipleship. Is the reason we see so many superficial professions of faith in some of the more prosperous and peaceful parts of the world today, read the United States, because people have never been required to put their lives or at least their livelihoods on the line for their faith? The number of deconversions prompted by far lesser crises in life suggests that we should be very cautious about assuming those around us who claim Christ necessarily are true followers. Only with hindsight will we be able to determine that for sure. Our posture toward those who make decisions for Christ shouldn't be one of skepticism. But at the same time, we should be careful to blindly assume someone truly knows the Lord without seeing it borne out in their lives. So again, I ask, student, single person, father, mother, brother, sister, what soil are you? Let's move on to the third soil. The third soil is the thorny ground or the divided heart. Look again at verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. As the sower spread the seed, some of it fell among the thorns. The seed, it took root and it grew, but as it grew, so did the thorns around it. And eventually the thorns overtook it, overtook the plant, choking out its life. This third soil was full of rival plants. It was, it was already occupied. The seed was never elevated to a place of prominence, to the dominant place. There's too much competition for the seed to survive long enough to bear fruit. Hear how Jesus explains this soil to his disciples in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says the seed that's sown among the thorns is choked by the cares or the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It's choked out both by the things that one worries about and by the things that one delights in apart from Christ. Earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus addressed some of the things that we worry about. This is what he says in 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worrying about these things, it keeps you from being able to seek first the kingdom. It, it chokes out the central place Jesus and his kingdom are to have in our lives. Consider the deceitfulness of riches. The desire for, for more and more and bigger and better, it, it doesn't creep in and overtake you just in a moment. It creeps in bit by bit over years. 
until you don't even realize your life is controlled by the desire for things. The thirst for wealth is deceitful. It overtakes you so slowly you, you, you don't realize it. You used to be content without X, Y, or Z, right? Fill in the blank. But now you can't imagine living without it. And so you'll fret and you'll strive and you'll idolize your work and you'll take on extra jobs so that you can make enough to have them. As one commentator says, both cares or worries and delight can be equally engrossing. This is the third soil. David Platt has called it the divided heart. It describes those who have too much other stuff taking up residence in their hearts for the word to survive and bear fruit. It describes those who initially show genuine interest in Jesus, but who fail to let Jesus have the first and prominent place in their lives. So when they're presented with the demands of following Jesus, they fall away. The third soil describes those who don't truly count the cost of knowing and following Jesus. And so I ask again, what soil are you? Let's continue on to the final character of our parable, the good soil. Read again with me in verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The fourth soil is the good soil, the one that's been prepared for the seed. In this soil, the seed, it sprouted, it took root, it endured in growing, and it produced fruit of varying degrees. Jesus explains this soil in verse 23. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The fourth soil is the one who hears and understands. And the understanding that Jesus mentions, it, it goes beyond just intellectual understanding. Early in this same chapter, Jesus is describing the purpose of the parables, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and we can see this in uh, Matthew 13, 15. As Jesus is quoting Isaiah, he says, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. To understand the word of the kingdom is to understand with the heart and turn. It speaks to heart level, experience, knowledge, and repentance, turning from sinful rebellion toward God. That's what happens when the gospel seed hits the fourth soil. There's, there is a receptive hearing of the word of Jesus there's an understanding of Jesus in his rightful place as king. There's a desire to know him more than a desire to live in sin. And there's a giving of allegiance to Jesus with one's whole life. Someone may not be able to articulate all of those things when they put their faith in Christ, but it will be a growing reality as they go on with the Lord in their life. This fourth soil is the only one that demonstrates saving faith in Jesus. And the, 
seed that falls on the good soil, Jesus says, results in a fruitful life in the kingdom. Jesus mentions varying degrees of fruitfulness here. What's clear is that true believers will bear some degree of fruit in their lives. But what kind of fruit is Jesus referring to, right? Well, he doesn't explicitly say, so I guess we're just left to guess. Kidding. Fruit is a really common theme, even in Matthew's gospel and throughout the rest of the New Testament. And so here's how I would define fruit, kind of taking all of that in mind. Fruit is what a fruit is what is born out of listening to, understanding, and following Jesus. Like the fruit of the Spirit, it's the inward and outward product of abiding with and obeying Jesus and walking in step with the Spirit. The fruit born in one believer's life may look different or be in a different quantity than in another believer's life, but the bottom line is those who are the fourth soil bear fruit with their lives. And so again, friend, what soil are you? Those are the main characters in the parable. And now I want to get into two sets of application. Two sets of application. First, for those who don't profess to know and follow Jesus. I know we're here on a Sunday morning. We're here together in the auditorium of a church building. But what I also know is that in a room this size, not everyone here knows and follows Jesus. As we walk through the four soils Jesus describes in this parable, you may have identified yourself as one of the first three. And if that's you this morning, there's some really good news. Like I mentioned earlier in the sermon, Jesus is ultimately the sower, right? Spreading the gospel seed directly or indirectly now through his followers. But what's not mentioned in this parable is the work the sower does before the seed is planted. Jesus, the sower of seeds, is also Jesus, the preparer of soils, Jesus prepares the soil of each believer's heart to receive and understand and obey his word. Just because you identify as one of the first three soils this morning, it doesn't mean that you're destined to remain that way to all eternity. The good news this morning is that Jesus can change your heart. He can make you into good soil. And so the application for you this morning is first, ask God to soften your heart and make you into good soil. Ask him. Two, recognize and lean in to any, just any crack or softening in your heart that God is already accomplishing, right? If if you notice that your heart is not as closed off to Jesus as it once was when your friend or your coworker brings him up in conversation, don't dismiss that. Lean in. If you have any desire to, to learn about, to read the Bible, Lean into that. Ask one of the elders or the leaders in the back after the gathering to to help you with that. If you notice that money and the things money can buy, they, they just don't satisfy you like they once did. It may be the Lord softening your heart so that you can find your joy and satisfaction in him instead. 
Recognize and lean in to those cracks that God is already working in a hard heart. And third, turn. Turn from hard-heartedness. Turn from shallow roots and misplaced loyalties. The good news is that Jesus has already paid the debt for sin by his death on the cross. And the forgiveness and right relationship with God that he accomplished on the cross, it can be yours if you turn from your sin and lastly, receive the gospel of the kingdom. Call out to Jesus, even now. Trust him and receive the seed of the gospel. He's, he's not just able to do this kind of heart-transforming work in you. He delights to do it. He wants to do it. So that's for those here who don't profess to know and follow Jesus. The second set of application are for, it's for those who do profess to know and follow Jesus. As we walk through the four soils in this parable and you identified with the fourth soil, the fruitful soil, the application for you this morning is this. First, be humble and rejoice. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, humbly recognize the credit doesn't go to you for the good soil of your heart. The Lord did that work in and for you. You could no more change your hard heart into fertile soil for the gospel than I can go out and command the clay in my front yard to change itself into fertile soil for grass seed. So be humble and rejoice. I mean, can you believe the goodness of God that's poured out in your life if you're the fourth soil? That he would not only be able, have the power, have the ability to make you his own, but that he would want to make you his own. That he would want to bring you in to his family as his son and his daughter. Can you believe that? So rejoice in your everyday life. Find ways to rejoice in God. Make space for that. When we gather here on Sundays, rejoice. Sing your hearts out. I praise God that he is making us into a singing congregation, but I also know that we're all guilty sometimes of singing these songs about the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the love of God toward us like it's not really that big of a deal or like I kind of deserve it anyways. Be humble and rejoice. Two, guard your heart. If you profess to know Jesus, take care your heart doesn't drift into becoming one of the other soils. Take care. This passage should serve as a warning to us. Jesus already gave us a strong warning in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let her hear the warning for those who profess the name of Jesus but don't truly know him. 
Those who, according to our passage this morning, the parable of the sower, who have a seed of faith that sprouts but never grows into bearing fruit. In Chorus, we believe those whom God saves will persevere to the end. That God will preserve them and keep them saved until the end. But we also recognize people do walk away from Jesus. Some will deconstruct their faith that they once held dear to the degree that they abandon the Jesus of the Bible altogether. And if they never return, will show that they never truly knew him in the first place. These warning passages are in the Bible as God's means for keeping us in the faith. That's why the writers of Hebrews can say, Hebrews 3, 12 through 15, take care, brothers, take care, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There are people who were members of Karis Church in years past who have forsaken the faith they once held dear. Some who have gone through our ministry internship, who have served on our staff with us, who no longer believe Jesus is their only hope in life and death. And I don't say that as a judgment or an indictment on them, but as a warning to you, brother, sister, guard the good soil of your heart. Take care Third application for those who do profess to know and follow Jesus, grow deep roots in the word. I love the Psalms. Listen to how the righteous person is described in the first few verses of the first Psalm. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. If you want to grow deep roots, that enable you to bear God-honoring fruit in any season of life, then grow deep roots in the Word of God. This is how we listen to the, word, to the Lord. We listen to Him in His Word. So hear it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Delight in it. Grow roots and bear fruit. And finally, so was Jesus. If Jesus has made you good soil and planted the seed of the kingdom in your heart, then you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And just like Jesus sent out his first disciples to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, so he continues to send out his disciples in the world today. Walking in obedience to that commission is one of the ways that 
Jesus wants to bear fruit in you and through you. What God has accomplished in you in salvation, he now wants to do through you in the lives of others. So get to work in the fields and sow with our Lord. In the places that he's already planted you, the places where you live, where you work, where you play, sow the gospel. It's tempting to become discouraged by all those that we see reject him. But just like those first disciples, we can take heart that his purposes are being accomplished. Those who have been prepared are receiving the word and bearing fruit. So, so with Jesus. Though many will reject him, followers of Jesus will bear fruit as they hear as they receive and as they follow the kingdom word of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, these are not easy words to hear. But we thank you that you care for us so deeply that you put passages in the Bible like this. I pray, Father, for those who are here who don't yet know you, that you would be at work softening hard hearts, that you would draw them to yourself, and that they would recognize their need for you, that they would turn from hard-heartedness and shallow hearts and other loyalties to turn and trust you, receive this good news of the kingdom. God, would you bring dead to life today? For those here who do know you, God, would you help us to be humble, to rejoice? God, help us to guard the good soil of our hearts. Holy Spirit, lead us Open our eyes to see places in our lives where we're starting to drift into one of these other soils. Convict us, God. Convince us that you're better. Keep us, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.